Thanks for listening to Lost and Rewound. Don't forget you can check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, and at lostandrewound.com. These are the B-Sides. Greetings, Earthlings and people who are... Never mind, let me start that over. Earthlings and Earthlings from other Earths. <laughs> earthlings and non-humanoid Earthlings. Welcome to another edition of B-Sides. My name is Alon. I'm Alyssa. I'm Doug. We are the Lost and Rewound team bringing you yet another edition, the second edition officially of the B-Sides Project. This is the program where your mixtapes come back to life so we can reminisce and review them. It's a pretty simple premise with limitless results. This time, our submission comes from Alan by way of Melissa. Uh, Alan was Melissa's neighbor here in Queens. Where is Alan going, by the way? Where is he now? Yeah, he lived here in the neighborhood, um, got developed out of Long Island City, and so he's he's in Manhattan right now. He's, look, he's sort of in a temporary place um, back in Manhattan, but he wants to move back either this way towards Queens or even eventually Jackson Heights. Melissa, last time we recorded the show, you brought the box of tapes that you got from Alan. Obviously, he'd been collecting for a while because he's just had boxes on boxes of tapes. Boxes and boxes of cassette tapes, which I got a couple of, and we found some curiously labeled mixtapes in there. Some of them aren't actually mixtapes. Well, they are mixtapes. They're all mixtapes, but some of them are self-made and some of them he just recorded off the radio um in numerous spots i can say with full confidence that there are about four tapes that he recorded while he was living in mexico so it's a lot of tejano um uh, latin music uh very very amazing mexican pop that you can't even use shazam to find out what it is because it's so difficult it's it's been an interesting exploratory process although the, the tape we're listening to tonight is called um the Golden Earrings mix. Yes. When, yes. That was one of the, the ones that stood out when, I, when we first got this um, treasure trove. And there's tapes that say hopeful, pissed off girls. Or, and then you had the old rock mix. And then you had... Uh, there's like classic divas. Yeah. And... So like there's a lot of self-explanatory titles. But um, this Golden one... Golden Earrings was very esoteric. Very esoteric. And so uh, I found... You know, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but you know it seems as if... They actually have a lot to do with films, uh, film scores, um, soundtracks from films. So uh, let's listen to the first track, uh, and maybe you know it. It's Unchained Melody. It's an instrumental version of Unchained Melody. Okay. Now, I-, I should note that n- we don't actually know necessarily offhand if, a lot of the- if any of these are from a specific film, because the... The, uh, common, theme, the common theme seems to be film scores but some of it is obscure enough that we have not been able to verify that completely theme i'm sorry i'm not well versed some, in italian films some of them might be from films that he dreamed up yeah he thought this would go great in a film exactly we just don't know right. there seems to be a theme but we aren't sure if it is a hard and fast rule so to speak if you have any commentary about any of the songs that we're going to be uh talking about and reviewing feel free to hit us up on twitter or email us directly at lost and rewound at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know it's from Canterbury Tales, you idiot. Exactly.
One is a flower And the other a flame Two loves have I But they're not the same Ma savan i belu, mais à quoi bon le nier? Ceux qui m'ensorcellent, c'est Paris, Paris tout entier. Le voir un jour, c'est mon rêve joli. So that was Nat King Cole. First, yes. and then Edith Piaf, both doing Two Loves? That's correct, in uh, respective languages. And I want to know who exactly the first song uh, was in terms of like the composer, because that was... The a, first track was the, the instrumental, instrumental of Unchained Melody, which was originally done by the Righteous Brothers. And did you say it was on a Mancini um, album? I, I'll have to... Know. No, not Mancini. It's something... It's another Italian name that starts with an M. Okay. But well, it's like gonna... it's from a film scores Michelangelo. From one. I don't know. I'll I'll The first track the instrumental was it's an interesting way to open a mixtape. I Sure. It might also work as, you know, a way to open a movie. That's I mean, it makes sense as a movie track, but I'm thinking in terms of like when we made mixed CDs um that the first song is always for like an important song or like sets the tone or Yeah, if, and if you're not playing it for yourself, you want to get other people into it right away. Right. You and it... somehow instrumental version of unchained melody doesn't do that for me all right exactly it just doesn't strike me as a strong mixtape opening track to really make me yeah it yeah. kind of it kind of like builds up like it, it starts on a very low note and then it's starting to like it picks up a little bit because you think it's going to be like a lounge mixtape of sort like a lounge show and this guy uh alan recorded at least two other tapes that were coming from Austin radio stations, which were playing lounge. There's a, apparently a lounge show that still goes on at Co-op in Austin. This show was from 1991. So, you know, we, we listened get... to that, one of those recordings, uh, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. you and I. And excellent stuff on there. I, I can't begin to say how many different songs. I feel like we, we can do another show on yeah. that tape. Yeah, alone. we definitely could. But With this specific tape. Yeah, this could have become another lounge tape based on on that opening track, yeah. but then it changes very quickly into, uh, oh, these are very sweet songs. Just and like you're like, why melody. am I hearing two versions of the same See, song? I it's that like, was really clever. It's like not? the theme is changing on but that me. Was, What's going on? That was very clever, though, and I thought a very interesting sort of cute transition or clever way to link the two songs. And I think the progression of the three actually kind of does work because, like we said before, it's a buildup. The opening instrumental is kind of – it's it's very mellow and relaxed, and then you get into that – Nat King Cole and then Edith Piaf, who's even who's a little more jazzy and up tempo, and it's. I don't know about much Edith Piaf. I hear so much praise for her, and she has, I mean, gone down in my book as being an amazing singer. But I just don't know much of her. It's I just I think it's uh, la da 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 da. Love you, love you, Rose. Yeah, is like the one I know the most. Of. I don't know her voice well enough to pick her out when I hear it. The only reason I can pick Edith Piaf out of a lineup is because I took nine years of French in grade school. Sure, that'll do it. And so, like, we even had to learn Edith Piaf songs at one point in time. I used to actually, used to still know all the words to La Vie en Rose. You said you learned about a lot of French music? Oh, I mean, some, but, like, Edith, it's one of those, she's such a sort of cornerstone of French culture, especially 20th century music in France. 
and I wish I could remember better where she like where she fell in the whole World War Two Nazi thing. Um, not that she was a Nazi, but I don't want to misspeak and say that she was. You're going to cut the segment out. Forget it. Um. You heard it here first. Edith Piaf, total Nazi. <laughs> Let's listen to the next track. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. Nineteen ninety three was the year Benny and June came out. However, as we were discussing, um, started to talk about the song, the Proclaimers were already kind of a big deal back in the UK. They are actually from Scotland, and so this song, which is not "I Would Walk Five Hundred Miles," thank you, Wikipedia. Five hundred miles, I'm gonna be. You no, know, it's called "I'm going to be." I'm gonna be parentheses five hundred miles. Correct. So. I'm Gonna Be originally came out in 1989 and went to 11 in the number 11 in the UK and number one in Australia. Four whole years before we got it here in the States with Benny and June. I would love to hear the original version of that. I think it's the same. Yeah. I don't it's think exactly the same. I think it was just the single. Yeah. And then they I don't know. I don't, I've never I, thought. It doesn't seem like they tried to like Americanize their language. I still don't know what the fuck they're talking about. But it's going to be mixed a different way, isn't it? No. no. Why would they do that? I don't know. This is just the international remix. I'm thinking it's of, not the Macarena. I'm thinking of a song, and I'm forgetting the name of it. I think it it's if I could fly, I'd pick you up and take you into the night. Oh, I have I had it, and I don't have it anymore. At any rate, the um, into the night song um, apparently was really big. I don't. I'm gonna throw it out there. I forget exactly. I would. I'm gonna say like early '80s, and then in the late '80s, it had a comeback. And so it was just what is spin- into the night. Uh, that song that I was I was singing, but I, okay. But who's it by, or like what? No, I, I'm trying to remember. I forget exactly. Oh, you know what? I got a good one. Message in a fucking bottle, or no, right? Or <laughs> message in a fucking bottle. Message in a bottle had that a version was, in 1982. Well, then they had a better version later, which was message in a fucking bottle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you get the picture, though. Yeah. Um, well, that does, was that both by the police. Yeah. Okay. I no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying it's like re- remixed to a different like producer or whatever. They they had some. I guess. No, but I don't get you mean though. Like there are certain songs that bands will put out on early, sort on early EPs or something like that before, and when they go to do their first full length album, they'll, yeah, they'll revisit they'll it, and re-record it, it. And do it better or worse. I always <laughs> like it. You Arctic Monkeys. I always like that song because of the karaoke uh, quality of it. It's a really good sing along song. It's also. People- really fuck it up a lot. I hate that song. It's also one of the first songs I I actually remember like being aware as a kid like just as I was first becoming really aware of pop culture and music and things that existed outside of like Legos um that was one of the first songs I remember really being aware of or hearing over and over again and yeah, knowing. It was super catchy on a kiddie kind of level. Yeah, was like, like cuz there's nonsense words in it and kids love that. I was like 5 or 6. It was perfect and Yeah. I remember it being kind of a a weird roller skate jam at some point. Right, and then watching the video on VH1 a lot too. Yeah, Because it's definitely. those two weird Scottish, like, are they twins? Were they br- they were brothers. Were they twins? I think maybe there was a cut of the video that had some Penny and June in it. I remember seeing the, the fork and bread dancing yes. a lot, and I never saw the movie as a kid. Yeah, I think the... Um... Or I mean, I saw it like later as a teenager or whatever, but... I've never, I've never seen it, actually. I feel so odd saying that, but I... I saw all the ads for it. There is. You may be shocked to know that Benny is not Johnny Depp's character. Fair enough. 
to go back to my original inquiry real quick about whether or not the Proclaimers were brothers, they are identical twin brothers, and apparently they have released nine studio albums and tour extensively worldwide. Great Good for them. Yeah, great for them. I hope they still are both wearing the, the big glasses. Um, Playing that same fucking song. They're an iconic <laughs> band, for what it's worth. You know, when you're a one-hit wonder, if you're a little iconic, not a bad look. You but know. They're, also, they're only a one-hit wonder in America, though, or in North America. Yeah, sure. that's true. Like Madness. We only know Madness for our house, but they're a huge band. They are huge. And I know so little about them because I feel like they put out like seven albums or something. But I think our we're ready house. for the next track. We are ready for the next track. <laughs> are you trying to sing that in melody with our house? <laughs> I didn't know we were going into an our house sing along. We could do that. But... Auto tune that shit. No, I don't do that. Good. Actually, I just don't know how I would if I did. <laughs> well, you also need a pitch to match it to as part of it. Yeah. Ooh, she just dissed your pitch. Next song. Well, no, like if you're going to auto tune something, part of why you can't just auto tune somebody speaking is you have to match it. Fair enough. All right, next track. Firstly, we had uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Was that track just called 500 Miles? I believe so. Okay. That was continuing on the 500 Miles theme of the Proclaimer song. Yeah, I don't think we really had anything else to say about the 500 Miles song other than, it's very clever. I see what you did there. (laughs) Yeah, well, good mixtaping. We missed a little bit of an opportunity to talk about both of them at once. Ah, but but little did he know. Yeah, he was just Little did who know. No, you were saying. Oh, no, I was just saying, but we're listening to this as we're doing the commentary. So we didn't know that was going to happen. Um, so our fault. <laughs> no, it actually worked out okay. Um, on the contrary, you know, here we are in 2014, and Inside Lewin Davis just came out last year, and that song was sung by Carrie Mulligan and Justin Timberlake in the film. So um, interesting how it, also, t- it, has, it, it has its own soundtrack. It has its own moment. Yeah, huh? and it, it picked up a soundtrack, you know. Well, then it also still though years after it, the tape was exactly made. it did still actually though, sort of keep the clever connection thing going because the follow up song to that was Puff the Magic Dragon sung in German by whom? Oh, um, gosh, I, I had it on me, uh, Marlene, Marlene Dietrich. Yes. It was funny hearing you say Puff the Magic Dragon in German. Oh, you should yes. do it again. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> I mean, Puff the Zabda Dragon. One more time. Puff the Zab. <laughs> I'm really sorry about to my, all my German listeners right now. Puff de Zabo Draken. I like it. You were doing Singing in the Rain in German. Or what? No, you were doing Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head in German yeah. pretty well. By the, Bar- come, by the Barry sisters. How, how come you're great at that but not this? Um, I, I don't know. Because I, I wasn't, while we were listening to it, 
I was actually just blabbing in a non-German sensical. I had no idea what I was actually <laughs> oh, okay. saying. I thought again, I, apologies. You fooled the German shit out of me because I thought those were real words. <laughs> Terrible. Good job. You trolled both of us. <laughs> uh, I mean, I just go by uh, by sound, so I don't know actually what's being said. But that also kind of raises the question too. Okay, so we went from Peter Paul and Mary was the common theme. How did we go from Marlene Dietrich to Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park, dinosaurs. Dragons, big Dinosa- things. Okay, oh, yeah. I don't know. I could see that. That's or the magic, uh, the magic of cinema. The magic. Let me tell you something. I never had any soundtracks when I was younger. Abe Dans, our our guest, our friend Abe Dans, who's been on the show a few times. Um, I remember he had a soundtrack of what I don't remember, but he was telling me he was really uh, at the time how soundtracks are awesome, and I just never really got down with them. I always thought they they had this sort of dated quality to them, so that you know that when you listen to these songs. It sort of brings you back to that time, and I guess we. I sort of undersold. You just like, like to live in the now, man. Yeah, I guess I kind of undersold the nostalgia value of, uh, and the timelessness of some of these soundtracks that are really. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's uh, cinematic, like John Williams there was uh, with the Jurassic Park theme, or if it's like some like assorted group of artists. Well, yeah, so there's, and there's really sort like of the two... Bat, one of the Batman soundtracks, right? Like, oh, there's sort of. Two Ooh, Batman soundtrack. That wasn't an assorted group. That was all Prince. <laughs> well, or, or well, say depending on which Batman movie, there's one that was all Seal. Batman and Robin. Ooh, yeah, Batman and Robin. I think had a bunch of like. There's a <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins song. Um, I remember the U2 song was pretty badass. For uh, the Batman, uh, and that's the only time I'll ever say a U2 <laughs> song was badass. That is a good song. Hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me. Yeah. That video was another top twenty countdown um, mainstay for a long time. I love that video. All right, but back to my point, real quick. Into you. <laughs> there are sort of two types of soundtracks. You have the ones that are like the Jurassic Park theme we just listened to, sort of original score, classical, beautiful music, which sure. sometimes doesn't always get listened to in its own right because it's so well woven into the overall film, as opposed to something like um, Saturday Night Fever or to get real nerdy empire records like the music makes part like is so entwined it's a character within the film that the soundtracks also then become these sort of great time capsules about placing the movie in a certain period or and and in those two movies you mentioned in particular the characters or the human characters yeah. in the movie actually interact with the music and are either dancing to it right or it's turning not just, it turning it on and off and celebrating it's not just a filler in the background and those yeah which, lends it, which makes its own special kind of soundtrack. Yeah, and I think th- those kinds of soundtracks are good for placing a movie in a time period and also for selling s- CDs of the soundtrack. Right, selling the, yeah. <laughs> selling albums or whatever it might be in the case of Saturday Night Fever. So I think actually in high school at one point I had two copies of Empire Records soundtrack on CD. Nice. And I, I feel like John Williams is good for helping you sell tickets to the movie. He's the king. Yeah, uh, I and, mean, just... And getting them Oscars, bitch. I mean, ju- I mean, it is what it is. He is. Um, it's like the Don LaFontaine of the, the who. Isn't that the voiceover guy? The the guy who does the in a world uh, who passed away recently. You're telling me? I don't. Know. That's what I'm. Saying. I don't know That's voice actors. I'm, uh, I'm just saying it's the same thing. It's like the the movie voice. He's the Robin he, Leach of that thing. Right. <laughs> John Williams is. It's a voice the, actor. I know. He is the. He is he's he's the he is that one. He's like Steven Spielberg in many respects, um, and he's done everything. He's done Star Wars. He's done um, Jurassic Park, and he, as you heard, and then he's also done Superman, which is probably my favorite movie theme of all time. I actually just watched uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, yeah, uh, just a couple days ago, and uh, I had that soundtrack on vinyl 
through some thrift store experience. I had never seen the movie. So I was like, what is this crazy bullshit? It, in the movie, they're communicating with aliens through tones that become like music eventually, but very often they are sort of, they're not atonal because they're tones, but they're very dissonant and they don't go together very well. Discordant? That's a good way to put it. So in listening to it as a soundtrack, it's just an unpleasurable experience. <laughs> but it works so well in the movie that I can imagine having seen the movie, going back to it and saying, now it has a purpose and the, you need the movie and the soundtrack to work together to give it a purpose. Otherwise, it just sounds like crazy bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll go with that. <laughs> Next track. <laughs> So we went first. We went from Jurassic Park to Much Ado About Much, Nothing. Hey, Nani Nani from Much Ado About Nothing. Well, no, is that the title? Well, Hey, Nani Nani is sort of it's sort of a song that's in the actual Shakespearean play. I think it might be an Elizabethan traditional okay um, folk song. Kind it of is thing. not, however, a Violent Femmes song. No, <laughs> Sigh No More Ladies is the name of the song, and you could find out uh, Hey Nani Hey Nani Sigh No More Ladies. By or something like that. Yeah. By much ado about from nothing, much ado about nothing, and then like you looked it up and it said nothing. It's a different version from what you found to be in the movie. Obviously, it was yeah. done in a different style, right? And then it contains the lyrics "Hang on, hang on," which right. we googled and found a violent film song, which is completely unrelated. I think what we've concluded is that we're terrible at googling. Well, I, know, I haven't you... concluded that no, because it's... I like that we found something that didn't make any sense because <laughs> it was funny. Exactly. And we went with it. And I think we're on the right track. Part of it is because none of us are terribly well-versed in classical or Baroque music that or that style. Like, I we, feel like yeah, I learned why about are we it. Even talking about it? <laughs> it's like the, our ba- we don't even know where to start the Googling. It what was it in, is. It was in Much Ado About Nothing, and that's all we know about it. So that's we just, Now that we have made Much just... Ado About It. I feel, exactly. you know, I feel bad no, because it was Shakespeare's birthday recently, <laughs> and I have done a Shakespeare show, and I've read enough Shakespeare as an but, actor. Uh, Our joke However, was a good end. Yeah, Doug what are you doing? Just, Doug and I just made... <laughs> Doug and I just had the perfect ending. There at your carnival Each little cannibal Will eat your heart if you let him each little cannibal will not let you forget him. You threw a party. All right, and then so after Shakespeare, it was not the creepy cannibal song. Yes, the yes, creepy, the cannibal, creepy song. cannibal song. Which, okay. What's the real name of it? Do you still have it open? It's called Every Little Cannibal. It's from a movie, incidentally, that's made long after this song was made, but evidently it was excer- song, this song It was, was like an indie song in ninety three that apparently like must have been in some film project, but that the guy who is in the band who's the writer of the song, Mike Slattery, I guess uh, has done film scores, so maybe that was what it was. 
And so the band, I did a little research a few weeks ago about it because I was curious what Shoulders was. And Shoulders is the name of the band, but it's the writer's name. The singer is Mike Slattery. And I guess eventually so the- foreshadowing occurs again in this tape because that ended up being on the soundtrack. It's from 1993, but on a soundtrack for a film in 2004. Yes, this little yeah. this little song. All gambling. This little indie song when it was originally put on, put on this mixtape was from some like random little hips not hipster that's the wrong word in 1993 an art house picture of some kind (laughs) this song existed in the world in 1993 but it did not become popular or get really picked up with a mainstream film into 2000 until 2004 i imagine that song being a huge hit on like indie stations in the early 90s i don't know anything about it but that sounded like some tom Waits shit right it was weird but in a very early 90s arty kind of way it, it it seems to really set uh, the, I guess the boundaries that are being made in this album, this mixtape, if you will. They're very far and away now. We've gone from like John Williams and lounge music, and now we're listening to some creepy like Tom Waits shit. That is by you know all things considered, Mike Slattery. I'm curious to hear more of that because it has a very carnival like. Uh, appeal to it i should say yeah it's just it's throwing me for a loop though no because i was enjoying our little clever connections from song to song and i'm and not this sure... one just kind of blows it out of the water well, I mean, first how do we go from jurassic park to shakespeare and then from shakespeare to creepy little cannibals uh, i don't know but we might find out in the next song let's find out from a lady organ grinder with all her sons behind her. Marco, Vito, Benno, was he strong, though he walked like a woman. And Carlo, who was five, he must be still alive. Ah, poor Marco had the sif. And if you didn't take the terrible cure those days, you went crazy and died. So we wound up actually finding the theme pretty quickly when we yeah. started the next section. Yeah, it's all kind of like creepy. Cre- creepy little cannibals little... went pretty well into what was the song directly after that? Song of Black Max from Cabaret. Yeah. Black Max, Max. from Cabaret. Yeah. Great, yeah. That, make, that yeah. transition made perfect sense. And so, then we got into Dracula. Or Bram's, the, the instrumental track was from. Right, that was from Bram mm. Stoker's Dracula. From 1993. It was the 1993. So where we're definitely, uh, you know, I got, I got it with soundtracks when we started off and now we're narrowing it down to soundtracks that came out before 1994. Yeah. Yeah. There's a heavily 1993 influence, but there are some, Mm -hmm. it is, there are some other years. It seems as if, um, I mean, obviously we're getting a nineties mixtape, so it's bound to happen. But that being said, the fact that what we're listening to falls perfectly in line with the general ethos of Lost and Rewound, which is the 90s but i don't hear about bram stoker's dracula at all because we've moved on to a totally different realm of consciousness yeah about vampires the vampire. are very different now. well it's even crazy the, even too though thinking back and when you think about 90s and sort of Anne rice when vampires were still kind of dark and crazy and actually scary before they fucking sparkled um 
Bram, like the film adaptation for Bram Stoker's Dracula, I don't remember, remember it being memorable or being even the best of that particular era. Or Melissa, well, I, I only remember it because of The Simpsons. Because yeah. they did gave it to Mr. Burns, and they've you know showed that so I remember many times that. since then that it's that's the only image that sticks out of my head is Mr. Burns with the crazy white hair. Melissa, were you ever like a, a goth when you were younger? Oh yes. Oh, we actually have yet to tap into my horrendous seventh grade hot topic Malga phase. Well, this seems like the perfect time. <laughs> yes, enlighten us. It was all about magic and witches and big fan of craft. Yeah. Who was actually favorite, who was your favorite craftian then? Uh, Nev Campbell was mine. Robin Tooney only because I just, I fucking love Robin Tooney. Tunney Tooney, I think it's Tooney. Works for me. Uh, she's also in Empire Records. Sure. Deb from Empire Records. Right, right. That was also like the height of my awkward phase. Mm-hmm. And I had a very prolonged awkward phase. Um, Our friends of the awkward phase would love your submission probably sometime. Yeah, I actually the thing is the box that actually has all of the pictures from middle school has yet to come out of my parents' storage unit. I've looked for it. Mm. Found like child all of childhood up until about sixth grade. Maybe, maybe better to stay there. And then I found senior year of high school through college. So that the key years, I there's not that there's a lot left over because part of that angsty goth phase was that nobody was ever allowed to take my picture ever mm. oh yeah i had one of those yeah not a goth phase but just like a, stop taking my fucking picture yeah um but there's lots of eyeliner lots of those plastic rubber bracelets listen to a lot of bad new metal yeah. such, such as corn papa roach oh, i didn't understand that uh, Lint biscuit be, to be goth though and maybe it was just like that because was the mall anger. rat. The sort of like the because we were also mall goths to like so like. Hudson Valley mall. I don't know. That was sort of the angry suburban music of 2002. Okay, I guess it's just not goth to me, yeah. but I understand what you mean. Of like, I can I can picture the corn fan who has very light skin and very dark hair. Right, I mean, I was but totally... they're not dressed like a goth. They sort of have. There's more boots involved. Right, I mean, it was <laughs> never. Yeah, like I, mean, I was totally a okay. hot topic mall goth. We're not. Ta- yeah, I was. Not... I was about to say. I was gonna just. We uh, gotta clarify. I was gonna cut to the chase and be like, "How many items did you buy from Hot Topic in your lifetime?" Uh, I don't remember. There's also there's the Hot Topic was not at the mall closest to my house, so I did end up buying a lot of just awful T-shirts from Spencer's. Because our our mall had a Spencer's. I throw my hands up in the air. Oh, man. I also bought a lot of spiked bracelets at Claire's. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's the place to go for a spiked bracelet. That's where I would go. uh, They're still open, right? I'm pretty sure. You didn't talk about this with my sister when she was on. Yeah, that's probably what we came Right, 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 right. Exactly. Anyways. Yes, I was a mall goth. All right. Bring it back around to vampires. That's cool. Ready? Are we ready for another? Yeah, we're ready for the next track. Let's do it. Tells the goats. You just wait. 
I'll sin till I blow up. She lies deep, waiting for the worst to happen. The goats champ and sneer. And at the doorway of Bethesda House, the Reverend Jenkins recites to Clarigib Hill his sunset poem. Every morning when I wake, dear Lord, a little prayer I make. Oh, please to keep thy lovely eye on all poor creatures born to die. And every evening at sundown, I ask a blessing on the town. For whether we last the night or no, I'm sure it always touch and go. We are not wholly bad or good who live our lives under milkwood. And thou, I know, wilt be the first to see our best side, not our worst. What in the devil was that, Alon? It's a very good question. Okay, so wait, we the first thing we heard when we got back, I thought the intro, beginning of it, sounded uh, kind of like um, the Sugar Plum theme from Nutcracker, but you said it was from Adam's family that... Well, if I stay, if if I am correct in my um, assumption, the first Adams Family movie was taking place during Christmas time, was it not? Yeah, and then the, I thought the whole thing sounded kind of like Tchaikovsky, um, but I think the, the I think they used original music in that movie, though. I think it, right. I mean, it was I mean, it's referential, but it's it sounded like basically sort of a a mashup, uh, if you will, a, a interwoven uh, two different themes and sort of made a new theme in and of itself. Because it's a if it, if if it is a Christmas themed um, movie, they'll probably make some kind of like interpolation with like Christmas themed songs and give it like a well, it's sort also of a too, spooky nut- kooky. Well, the Nutcracker animal. also too is some of the most instantly yeah. recognized Adams. classical music of the holiday season, especially that's not sure. explicitly religious. Um, and just the the very beginning of the, it's something that instantly places you at Christmas. The nutcracker or that sound, that sort of twinkling, is very Christmas sounding. And I think you are right, Alon, that the original Adams Family movie was set over Christmas, December, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing that we heard it was kind of a. Or 1992. I mean, it was either the winter of 92 or whatever the case may yeah, be. The second track that we heard was sort of a spoken word. It was like a, it's a poem almost. Dylan Thomas. It's an excerpt from uh, Under Milk Wood, and that was the Eli Jenkins prayer. I would like to know more about it. I haven't done a whole lot of research on it, but I found that out. And for full disclosure, when I did find it out, I wish I had more time to and did not have enough time to. Gosh, I mean, that was so like left field when I first heard it for the first time. I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, it's an odd choice to put it. Dylan Thomas poem on your mixtape. on the At the very end of the side, no less. So it's like, oh, are we uh, at the end of the side? Yeah. We oh, have, there, there's a few other tracks, uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But let's talk about the fact that you don't really hear much spoken word on mixtape. Why would you? Yeah, like I would never have thought to do that. I, mean, I think I may have put Fitter Happier by Radiohead on some mixtape, but that whatever. That doesn't really count, right? I mean if you were doing a mix and putting like a spoken word over an instrumental or something, like that's one thing. Or like even if it was, you know, funny. I think also, too, that this is sort of... It's very spooky. I mean, that might have... Sure, yeah, it fits in the spooky theme right. of the but second also half I, of this side of the tape. I, I think this is one area where mixtapes and mixed CDs or playlists are kind of different in that when you used to make a mixtape, the ending of the side was an actual pause and you just flip it over and, like, 
so it made sense sort of as an outro right or so the like you, you t- the end the end of the first side was always a little more mellow a little darker it was not no right. not always but um frequently it sort of was sort of the flow of the you, d- you knew that stoppage was coming so right. it made sense to have sort of the slow song at the end of the side right and then it picks back up when you flip it over and yeah etc so i think that is sort of actually a very interesting sort of beautiful poetic way to end the side just a little bit of spoken all right you sold me and also juxtaposes nicely with the fact that the first track was instrumental. There you have it. It's sort of, it's sort of, it's a very symmetrical kind of uh, side. Bookends. Well, I, I, I have uh, bad news. There's only so many tracks that I'm, no, I'm sure of what to talk about because there's only a few tracks on the second side. So uh, let's take. All a- right. Well, let's. Uh, yeah, let's listen to just a, a few tracks and let's come l- back, and we'll do the last talk. All right. <laughs> this is Lost and Rewound, the B sides. We'll be back shortly. first song we heard was the crying games soldier's wife uh with rachmaninoff rachmaninoff as right. uh, yes and as, really amazing as, as done by boy george okay good go on <laughs> right no no boy george sang the act I, I know but if this is actually going in the podcast I'm... right no so on the album the composition called the soldier's wife that is pretty awesome i like that a lot it there's such a really nice like almost sample worthy quality to it the second song we heard was, um, gosh, uh, Lori Lewis and Grant Street. Right. And the song was called The Rope. 
it actually I, 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 I this song really hit me hard when I first heard it and I wanted to know what the hell was up with it because it turns out it's actually a Martina McBride song and it I mean, does not late, even later come. it was or they covered it I think they covered it or it was a song that was not written by her but she did and made famous okay. she made the song famous I guess but like this is a I guess a lesser known version uh, and it's very difficult to find, and then I it paid off because there's a really great video of it on YouTube, actually, if people want to look it up. Um, What's the name again? So it can be Glory cool. Lewis in Grant Street, and the song is called The Rope. I don't know. Cool. Like, I kind of like that, and, and I think what's notable about this song in terms of the side, uh, because all the songs on the side that we could have talked about on the show, and this is the only track with vocals, and it just happens to be kind of like with the other side where it was... Yeah. Beginning with music and then ending with acape- with um, spoken, spoken word, yeah. and then this was an acapella song. At the same time, standing though, out amongst a sea of classical music. At the same time, though, I would say that this particular song, because of the quality of the singing and how it's the melody and how beautifully assembled it is, it is almost instrumental in the quality of the voices. I mean, the singing itself it weaves together its own sound that's not just a lyrical. Sure, it's it's not the same as calling something an acapella in that. Sometimes you're implying that there should be instruments, yeah. but not in this case. Right. That the voice is its own instrument, in the case of the song. Correct. That is, your opinion is correct, <laughs> according to Alon. Master of the universe. <laughs> okay, and so the, wait, the last two songs were both... Um, hold, pause for one second, because I want to just uh, confirm what the firm um, theme, like the title theme, is made, okay. is made by. Give me one second. It's a John Grisham novel, by the way, not... Oh, yeah. Grisham's. Not Michael Crichton. I know. Say, I, close, very similar. Crichton's and Grisham's and Clancy's. Oh, my. Mm. They wrote lots of, lots of books in the 90s, and we made movies out of them. Sure did. We did. We did. We... You and I. <laughs> Three of us in this room got together, made a shit ton of movies. Once we got Robert Downey Jr. into Iron Man, we retired. <laughs> and now we make a humble little podcast. <sighs> we did it backwards. Yeah, so the last two songs were from The Firm, um, which was a Tom Cruise movie, I guess, in 1993. I never saw it, but Tom Cruise is a movie star who has a lot of movies, so I think I can take a pass that I, I'm not completely well-versed on every single Tom Cruise movie. Melissa, you thought that that was before he turned super creepy? Before he, I mean, he, Tom Cruise, like, there's always something not quite right about Tom Cruise, but at least in the early 90s, he was still riding the, like, rugged Top Gun, sexy man persona nobody had quite caught on that he was like five three and cre- and just weird not that there's anything wrong with being five three but that he's got like a almost a child molester vibe going on i don't know it's a i don't know if he has a child molester vibe going on but he's the, a weirdo he's a weirdo scientologist aka he, he's a genius is he i think he's kind of a genius i'll give him i'll give him credit but I, the shot. I just don't think tom cruise is a genius I feel like the best work he's done in the past decade is wearing giant hands in Tropic Thunder and dancing around. He was so brilliant in that. That was brilliant. He wasn't I – mean, he was all right. It wasn't no, I mean, he was I'm, the best part of the movie. No, 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 no. Like, what you, else has he done? It's a euphemism he for that, He was in that classic. movie with Jamie Foxx. That was okay. Well, yeah. also, too, in the post-Oprah couch jumping era, it's really hard to believe him as an action hero anymore. He's the highest earning actor right now. So, I mean, it, it, you got to – Why? I mean – I, unless, I, I, unless I'm wrong. That many people go see Ghost Protocol? <laughs> yeah. I realize that Middle America also is the reason that Two and a Half Men is still on the air and is still the most popular TV sh- like show on network television. Well, I don't know what where you're getting these 
figures from. But I, I feel like he's also that selling he well internationally, paid. not just right. in, in America. In America. America. Where things just happen and we can't take the blame because we're just people, but we are a statistic, I guess. No? Never mind. We're, not going there. Why are you trying to justify du- duck out from underneath being blamed for Tom Cruise when you just said he was a genius? He is, You want to be blamed for Tom Cruise. I know it. Well, that should be like a great song title. I want to be blamed for Tom Cruise. <laughs> is, that the fir- is that the first album by our ska band, the Cannibal? <laughs> no, no, those don't go together. I want to be blamed for, for, okay. for Tom Cruise. All right, by, kosher by, by Kosher Cannibals. All that right, really make All sense. right, kids. So let's let's what, let's, Alon? Are you trying to rein us in right now? Let's cir- let's circle back. You're trying to rein us rain. in. Let's let's um. Shaq Hughes. We've heard pretty much the majority of this album as sort of jumping around, jumping around in from one little topic to the next. Do we have an overall, um, I guess, impression from the tracks and how they t- all tie in together, or do they um, really just sort of make well, it all jumbled? The theme of soundtracks from 93, 94 holds pretty steady. Sure. There yeah. was a creepy Halloween-y theme on the second half of the first side that I thought was pretty unified and interesting. I didn't have a whole lot of emotional resonance with the rest of the second side because I didn't recognize it. I didn't know what it was from, and yeah, I think we would have. I think we would have had more to. It would have been more meaningful had we had more recognition with what was what was on the second side. Oh sure, um, and more context to place it in. I I do feel like I'm not giving it enough credit. It was all beautiful music that obviously is classical and still right, known but, for a reason right but i only i, I kind of got the joke on most of the first side so i can see how it would have been better or, or like the the cleverness would have been more meaningful yeah, if i've been able the, to follow the trying to make me laugh by through song selections <laughs> definitely got turned way down on yeah. the second side just yeah was not as effective again because we didn't know exactly what we were listening to i will and say we talked about it for a second earlier but that is kind of the difference between can be the difference between a mixtape or whatever, something that you made to listen to yourself right? and something you made to give to someone or to listen to with someone else. Like if I made a tape for myself, I wouldn't be trying to make myself laugh with song titles. Right. So it almost feels like the second side was made to be listened to right. by yourself. Like that's a after Sunday afternoon cleaning up the house. Right. Like this is just something. for listening to and it's wonderful, pleasant music and – and and somehow the first side seems like something you give to somebody or listen to in the car with somebody. Yes, and you. No, I think you're right. Both you sides. enjoy their reaction to it. Each side has a very distinct personality. I don't know what what either side's flavor has to do with golden earrings. No, I didn't figure that no, out either. That, Is that going to remain a mystery? I, I don't know, man. I'll 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 tell you this. Golden earrings made me think that maybe it was like there was just like solid, like not solid gold. That's a, a actual. It's an actual um, music genre. No, I'm talking about like the like music gold. Like this is pure gold. This is amazing. Like the euphemism of just how uh, overpriced and uh, unaccessible it is because it's that good kind of good. Mm-hmm. And then you have to boot the, its earrings, so it's in your ear. Like okay, you thought about this way too hard. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just random. It, like, a, an assortment. Of, it's probably a personal joke or like a per like a clever th- it, it, or a joke to whoever this mixtape was made right. from the first time made for the first it's, time it's very simple sheerly musical emotional or associative these are the three type of um effects that we 
as music listeners uh, look to music. We have music that hits us in an emotional sense, which I think a lot of the tracks interspersed kind of did. And then there was an associative of which we won't get that because associative is very much uh, to the discretion of Alan. You uh, have the emotional, you have the associative, and the whole second side is very much in tune to the Shirley musical, where like there's music that, for all intents and purposes could be associative to him but to us it comes off as being that of a sheerly musical quality of right. which that, that's how it resonates to us it's pretty and some people really love that more than the emotional or the associative because they appreciate the technique and the and the fact that it's the classical composition sure so we don't know where golden earrings came from don't in, in summary we like it don't know what it means we like is, it don't know what it means and, and this has been fun and you know we uh, will have, I guess, more and more fun the more uh, submissions we get. The tape was – it's fun. It's interesting. We can't quite put our finger on the theme. Um, but it was a good time to talk about, and we would love to talk about your mixtapes. We would love to have fun and talk to you about your tapes as well. Send them to us, lostandrewound at gmail.com, lostandrewound.com. Find us on the internet. Let's talk about your music. Yeah, and it would be – extra fun if we got something with some context right like we would love to have you come talk about the tape with us tell us a story it was very fun to listen to this and try to figure out the context on our own along the way but i think there's got to be additional layers we could bring to this by establishing the context from the get-go that the element of surprise is what's what's so great that's like why this is such an interesting time listening to somebody else's music and what's going to happen next they didn't write down what the playlist was anywhere, so I gotta like use the power of the internet, glory be, just to like find out what the songs are. Yeah, we would have been screwed on this without the internet. I will say that. Yeah, thank you, Shazam. And on that note, it's Lost and Rewound. Lost and Rewound is hosted by Alan Danziger and Melissa Lloyd, produced by Doug Johnson. Thank you, y'all. See you next time. Yep, yep. Hooray. <laughs>